Welcome to Brian Janikowski's Market Chat, Friday, July the 7th. I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Taken-Burtz, and let's get started. So Christian, I wanted to talk to you a bit about, um, we had some job numbers come out today, but I, I did want to talk to you about the Fed and the, the kind of precarious position that they're in. Um, there's been a lot of speculation on whether they'll continue to raise rates this year. Um, with growth being so low, is the Fed kind of playing with fire by potentially pushing rates to, you know, two, three percent um, as planned? Uh, you know, there's a lot of corporate debt out there, um, and with the low growth, uh, these companies will struggle to earn their way out of this debt. Um, so, you know, what are all the factors that the Fed has to balance when, when coming to a decision like this? Well, their mandate is only to consider two factors, which is to keep inflation low and keep unemployment at its maximum rate. And the way they've described that is inflation uh, low at 2% and unemployment between 4 and 4.5%, uh, maybe as much as high as 5%. So that's all that they're meant to do. They talk about other things as well, but that's essentially their mandate for conducting monetary policy. So to your point, they are succeeding on one measure. Today's unemployment numbers were just under 5% unemployment, just up a little bit from 4.6%. Um, and uh, the job num the jobs market seems I don't think it is entirely across the board, but seems to be fairly robust and and doing doing quite well. Uh, but inflation has been below the targeted rate of inflation for quite some time. We discussed that here many many times. And the last m number which which came out, which they target the PC inflation there, I think they're at one point six percent. So. Their dilemma is on the one side, there's a lot of deflationary pressure in the economy. On the other hand, there seems to be a fairly robust labor market. So uh, they could choose to split the difference or they could choose to bias one over the other or they could choose to ignore one over the other, which perhaps is the same thing. But really what I think they're doing is they're pointing to the labor market and saying that's in pretty good health. And that's what's mostly going to lead them to nudge rates higher. I do think it'll be slow. I don't think they're going to turn turn the volume up on rate increases very much. But I think we do have to be cognizant that they are really not able to put any kind of inflationary pressure or, or there isn't any doesn't appear to be any inflationary pressure in the economy. And that's a concern when you when theoretically you're at full full employment. What do you think the connection is, and or is there any connection between the low interest rate environment that we've been living in um, since the crash, uh, you know, essentially this cheap money um, environment, and the um, the expensive quality of the stock market now? Is there a risk if the Fed doesn't continue to raise rates? that um, you know, they'll further egg on the excesses of cheap money, which will make uh, you know, a turn or a reversal um, even more violent down the line. That's, that's a tricky one. I mean, what, one reason for the high valuation of stocks, although I, you know, as we mentioned before, I don't think they're overvalued. They're certainly not cheap. I don't think they're overvalued. But one of the reasons is that any form of discount dividend discount model or discounting income stream model is going to rely on a risk-free rate. Right now, the risk-free rate is fairly low. So all things being equal, the value of your equity stream goes higher, the lower the rates are and goes down, the higher your rates are. 
because you're not getting paid to, you need to get paid more to hold something other than a, a treasury bill. So I think the balance is that uh, some of the stock market valuation is built on a low rate environment because that's how the discount models and the valuation models are working. Um, and if you've got 10 year bonds at two, 0.4 and stock at equities at the same number roughly, a little bit less, then your choice to be in one or the other just based on income stream is is pretty difficult to 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 make a decision one way or the other. So so it, it, it I would say that the the, the, um, the rate of rates has made stocks look relatively expensive <clears throat> relative to history. And I think this is where most people are, what they're thinking about when they're talking about the high, high valuation of equities. And the, the Fed has weighed in on this a couple of times. They weighed it on their monetary uh, paper, which came out today on Friday in time for the um, testimony next week that Janet Yellen has to do in front of the um, in front of Congress, the Humphrey Hawkins testimony, and then one of the the Vice President Fisher mentioned it the other day. So they are they are sort of cognizant that they that they think asset prices are high. I personally think they should stay away from this uh, because it kind of brings them into a whole different whole different field. And I continue to feel that equities. And we've discussed it in our group. Um, you know, again, are quite expensive, uh, not expensive as they have been. Um, and um, but I think in terms of signalling a time to sell equities is is not is not honest, not even close to that. Well, okay. So so moving on to kind of an asset allocation um, perspective from that last point, you said it may not be a time to to sell equities. But is it a time to buy equities? Uh, you know, I, th I think there's an always an upward bias to equities. Um, I think we should, could see a correction in the summer. We saw a small one this week, just 1%, uh, which feels worse than it is. Uh, you know, it hasn't been uncommon in the past to see 2 3 5% swings. Um, and really, you have to get to 10% before you get, you know, can technically call it a correction at all. So. The, the low level of volatility continues. And so when you see a red day like we did on Wednesday where 90% of the stocks actually went down, um, the it can feel worse than it is. So I think there will be sort of buying opportunities and we might even see a bigger correction that, especially over the summer where trading desks are you know, thinly populated. So if any big bids or movements in the market come around, there isn't a lot of matching volume the other side. Um, so I think, you know, cautiously buying and, and buying high quality stocks, which we've tried to do in the firm as much as possible, is, uh, is the right way to go. So, you know, bonds have, ha have shown some weakness as well. Um, and that is partly in fear, uh, fear of rising rates, not only here, but in Europe. Um, Japan kind of promptly squished that. Um, that in terms of, of the bond, their bonds, their national bonds. But if we're seeing the weakness in the bond market, if we're seeing over or valuations being high um, inequities, from an asset allocation perspective, where should an investor be putting their money? Well, I think I think you've got to be careful what type of stocks you buy and what type of bonds you buy. Um, I think in both cases, quality is is a feels a safer place to be. So uh, on on the bond side, I think staying out of high yield, 
distressed debt type of situations make sense. I just don't think one is getting paid enough for those sort of risks. Um, and on the equity side, you know, I come back to the you know, high quality stocks, the strong balance sheet stocks, the proven growth, growth stocks, the ones with cash dividends, and trying to stay away from the overstretched multiples that we see in some areas. But um, so, so that I think will be a, be a good way to keep the keep a fairly sort of you know, tepid risk profile as you go into equities. And of course, the other one that we've discussed here is that I, th I think being overseas, although it's taken a breather recently, still makes sense as we see some of the upturn in Europe, um, probably following through with the good, good, good results even season coming into the third and fourth quarter. Speaking of quality, you had a, a piece, of, a section of the blog this week talking about dopey, as you've dubbed them, dopey ETFs. <laughs> Can you explain what you mean uh, and what you've identified as these these certain types of e e ETFs, and um, you know how do they work, and um, what is your take on them? Uh, you know, at, at different market cycles, there are always you know specialist funds and and specialist investment themes which can seem a little odd with the advantage of hindsight. So we saw that in in the late '90s with internet funds and net net funds and all this kind of thing. And now it's it's not as it's not as bad because it's much cheaper to set up an ETF. So it's not going to suck in you know large amounts of money and put people money at risk. But the reason we put it is that there is literally now an ETF for sort of any theme you might have. And we there's a gender diversity ETF, you know, which is looking at how companies treat gender diversity. There's a drone ETF. There's a millennials ETF, there's a 3D printing ETF, there's cybersecurity and so on. And we just highlighted some of these because these kind of two things. One is that they pick up on a broad investment theme and they, then they construct an index, that's what makes it an ETF. Uh, but then they become, they have very concentrated positions in them. Um, so in some of these ETFs we looked at, the ones we've described on the blog, the top 10 holdings can be between 30 to 60 percent of the of the fund, which is a very concentrated bet. <laughs> and uh, I think so some of the benefits of diversification are lost when you invest in a fund like this. So, I mean, our basic message is to you know have some fun with some of the names and the themes here, but you know just to caution people that uh, these themes tend to burn themselves out pretty quickly, and these funds have yet to gather any significant assets and I hope it kind of stays that way because I don't I wouldn't want to see people brought into these into these stocks it can be a it can be a sign of just a little bit too much froth in the market and how do they screen for these ETFs in terms of what's included I mean are the are the factors relatively arbitrary um, or what is the methodology there well remember that the way the ETF works is essentially a, a manager will think up a theme and pick the stocks he'll then or he or she will then design an index around it, which is kept by a third-party index provider. And then the ETF models itself on that ETF. So the manager of the ETF and the index provider have to be separate, although the index provider's going to receive a licensing fee from the ETF, so they will make an index of mm. whatever we describe, gender diversity, drones, marijuana. and But essentially, yes, they're, they're, they're picking stocks with any kind of relevant... Uh, to, you know, to relevance to that theme, some of which would be total red herrings, and some will be, you know, plays. So Pfizer, for example, I think is in is in the obesity ETF. Well, Pfizer is a you know a huge company of, of of I would imagine probably one percent of its sales or turnover is to do with obesity management or uh, or cures. So 
it's it's a rather strange way to play this um, mm-hmm. and I just got to I, I think our public public service warning is uh, look hard at these things if you're thinking about investing you know give us a call because we probably rather you didn't uh, but but you know I understand that they're going to be highly concentrated and probably very volatile investments thank you for your thoughts Christian thanks to you for listening and we'll see you next week thanks everybody and here's a disclosure. Please note this discussion of our investments, investment strategy, including our research investment purpose, represents our investments, investment strategy at the day of this commentary. Subject to change without notice, cannot assure that the types of investment discretion in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. This is for general information purposes only. References to any individual security should not be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. The securities mentioned in the commentary for several successful and unsuccessful investments by us do not represent all the securities we have purchased or recommended, although we deem reliable the sources of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary. We cannot guarantee our accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data, past performance, no indication of future results.